While your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus Farrow. And I'm Chris McCarthy. We're here with uh, New Bedford Light reporter uh, Will Senat, and uh, we've got a really um, interesting and I think it's exciting in a way story to tell you uh, Will, that Will had witnessed. Uh, you may have heard it on WBSM.com, um, the, uh, the four-hour standoff that had happened um, last night. Last night. Last night. Until the early morning will, morning will was there um so we're going to talk more about that but first uh an important public surf- service announcement from carl alves of paca hey carl marcus how are you thank you for uh giving me a minute oh we you know thank you for for the work you're doing can you um uh, so so there's it's it's really cold uh it's gonna be really cold tonight uh wind chill could be minus 30 um, obviously, in a city like New Bedford, there's a lot of people without uh, shelter. So you guys at PACA are uh, trying to help out uh, those people. Yeah, and it's not just us. There's a, there's a bunch of us that are, are, you know, a lot of organizations kind of trying to help out, uh, whether it's out, uh, out, outreach on the streets or, um, you know, the shelters are, are already full. Um, so we are doing a warming center overnight. Uh, so if there's anybody out there that might be struggling for an pl- indoor place to be, um, we encourage you to come down to 360 Cogswell Street. We'll be there uh, all night long. Uh, it is not a shelter, but it is a warming center. So you can sit, have a cup of coffee. We have some food there. There are other people there. We already have uh, probably a dozen folks Um with us already so uh again it is uh open you know certainly i know that there are folks doing outreach in dartmouth and fairhaven and what have you um you know again this is a warm place we want to make sure that uh, nobody's out there tonight because uh, it could be a matter of life or death carl um give the address again and then also um if because there are obviously people listening to us who may not have this situation but they may witness someone how do they go about getting involved how do they help well, I mean, there's a number of lines. I mean, get the person to 360 Cogsall Street, which okay. is the old uh, Clifford School, and the uh, right across the street from the Golden Greek, it's old build, uh, school building. You just come in through the back door, okay. uh, and you can come right in, as, uh, and, and you're welcome. Uh, but folks that want to get involved, uh, we're looking to mobilize our community and, and try to help uh, folks that are in need. We're actually doing a community meal. Uh, on the 16th of February. So if you'd like to find out more, if you'd like to get involved, come down to PACA between 4 and 6. Uh, we will have some keynote speakers and some inspirational stories. That's one way to kind of grab in. The other way is just check it out. Check us out on the, the web. It's P-A-A-C-A dot O-R-G. And uh, you can get connected. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. That's those kinds of things. Carl, um, lots Carl, of different things that can be done. Carl, you've been around a long time. You're a very credible guy, serious member of the community. If someone can help financially, how do they do it? <clears throat> there is... Um, Rise Up for Homes has a, a great uh, website, riseupforhomes.com, uh, uh, and that is our local website, and you can uh, donate directly through there. And, and there, 
what is what helps uh, pay for folks to kind of staff and maintain uh, this uh, this and other types of uh, initiatives that we have throughout the community. So that's a simple way to kind of uh, donate. I know hate, people hate to do it, but the easiest thing they really can do um, is send a check. You know, I know people hate to ask sure. for money, but I'll do it for you. Um, yeah. The easiest <laughs> thing they can do is write a check, right? Right. It's even easier on the web. Yes. You can just go in and click, it, click away. Uh, Riseupforhome.com. Thank you. So, uh, Carl, uh, we appreciate you coming on to give this important information. Um, uh, that is uh, 360 Cogsall Street in New Bedford. Uh, the number is 508-997-9051. 508-997-9051. Uh, is there any other information that you want to leave uh, for the audience on this? Well, we're open uh, all night long, so, um, you know, again, if you see somebody, you know, you can guide them to that. Or if, you know, don't worry about coming in. There's no, it's very simple, low-barrier uh, process. Just come on in. Thanks, Carl. We appreciate Thanks, the work Thank you're doing. You. Appreciate you. So that was Carl Owls, my cousin, uh, over at PACA. Again, 360 Cogsall Street. If you guys want to shoot me a call uh, a call or an app chat message to ask me that information again, we'll gladly give that out again. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's really important. Um, so, Will, uh, so how, how do you want to let you – I'll sure. let you take point on this, Chris. So, Will um, – you lived so there's a story at WBSM.com today about a standoff, weapons found, really bad guy, um, formally convicted of some serious crimes, about to face more more charges now. Explain just what you saw, where you are, what happened. Sure. So I mean, it was um, you know about ten o'clock at night last night. I was with my girlfriend. We were uh, just eating dinner, and glanced out my apartment window and saw a police car. You know, pretty standard. Went out, peeked out the window. Took a look and saw about 15 other police cars right, right in front of it um, and kind of centered around that intersection by um, Smith and County Street. Um, there, there's a you know, convenience store, big blue, I think, four-story house. And, um, yeah, I mean, that was just the initial um, – what, what I saw was quite shocking. I mean, I've, I've seen, you know, police cars, you know, go, go, uh, you know um, stack up, you know, pull somebody over. But, I mean, that display of force just initially just shocked me. So – you're about to see a lot more force, though, right? Mm. So the the initial police um, were going there, as we understand, for what chart? For what reason? So as I understand it, uh, the police were responding, and this came in on the police scanner, um, to a, a, a domestic call, um, you know, also fairly standard. Right. Um, you know, uh, police officers walked you know, knocked on the door. They had a slight uh, communication with a, a man on, on the other side of the door, um, and uh, he quickly... You know, stopped responding, um, and uh, so you know the police um, instead of you know busting in, I guess they drew drew back. And at some point along the line, they learned that the um, the man inside, uh, you know, uh, who has a you know criminal history, also had firearms uh, in the apartment. Um, you, you might know more. About yeah. That. So so what we what we understand, and there's more about this at wbsm.com. Um, the police got intelligence from from an extended member of the family that there were weapons in the house. Now, if you go and look at the picture at WBSM.com, even if you're experienced with firearms as I am, you can't tell whether that is an automatic or a semi-automatic weapon. It turns out to be semi-automatic, which is one bullet per twi- trigger squeeze. But I will also tell you that the AK-style 47 rifle that he had, there's no bulletproof vest that the New Bedford police has that will stop that bullet. 
all right? So you're talking about serious firearms, the kind of stuff that, unfortunately, the New Bedford police are dealing with on a daily basis. So when they realized that they didn't know for sure whether he had automatic weapons um, or standard semi-automatic weapons, they they reached for, for uh, the Semlik team. So mm-hmm. explain what you saw now, Well. Yeah, so uh, I guess what I saw. Are you going to make this the, video available on your uh, Bedford Light? Yeah, I, we can we can make it available. Okay. I, I can post it to Twitter. Um, it's at Will Senate S E N N O T T. And so yeah, I guess what I saw was the you know initial response. Right, they they brought in the police department. So there was a few state police officers. Dartmouth, the police department was there. Um, but the Semlek response came after they, you know, of course, learned about can, um, the can, weapons. Can you explain what Semlek is sure. before we go any further? So Semlek is a regional team. Uh, uh, to the credit of Chief Oliveira that he brought the New Bedford police as part of Sem- into Semlek, uh, which gives them the ability to marshal a lot of force in a situation where they need it. Um, in this case, there were about 15 to 20 police officers from around the area who were trained SWAT-type uh, officers who responded. I can tell you there were former New Bedford police officers who now work in Halifax, former New Bedford police officers who now work in Carver, the ch- both the chiefs respectively. They came down. They're, they're all special reaction police officers. You had members of the New Bedford Police Department who were on SEMLAC who responded as well. You had um, some of them civilian just wearing flak vests with, with winter hats. Um, it was quite a scene, Will. You were watching it. Yeah, it really was. I mean, they were, um, you know, those people walking home from work. They were kind of clearing them off, uh, you know, telling them to, to you know, walk around the block and guiding them around, um, you know, moving traffic. It was a whole block that was sectioned off. And the Semlek response came, really the, the, the brunt force of it, uh, with this um, kind of an armored, you know, almost military-style vehicle. It's Bearcat, I yep. believe is the name of it. The Bearcat. Um, so, Laura, I mean, it looks almost like a Humvee, right? Yeah. It's painted black. Um, and this, um, I mean, you might know the name of it, but this, uh, uh, you know, four-wheel vehicle with a large bulletproof front. It's like a bulldozer, folks. I'll paint the picture for you. It's a bulldozer, essentially. Mm-hmm. And on the front of the bulldozer is an 8 by 8 foot bulletproof screen, which can go up and down as a, as a, as a bulldozer can, to a, or backhoe, whatever you want to use. Backhoe would be the better description. So the police can set up behind it. And if they're taking fire, they can adjust the, the screen up and down. So that's a thing that the New Bedford police would have no reason to have on a daily basis. But it's available to them because Chief Oliveira has made the department part of Semlek. Yeah, and you know they they um and Will has this video. You have to see this video, folks. How do they see it again? Twitter, right? Twitter, yeah. It's uh, on at uh, Twitter. My handle is at Will Senate S E N N O T T, and um, I'll put it up there. It's it's um. Yeah, I mean these, these this uh, the Bearcat, this uh, bulletproof you know four wheeler, um, just came rolling down County Street. I mean, it, it really did look like a scene out of a you know um, a combat zone, right? Because I mean, it was a combat zone. Yeah, and not just that. There was police officers there. Um, you know, they had uh, AR-15s, a lot of them. But there was also um, a, a, it might be part of the Semlek uh, force, but um, you know, the camo uh, uh, uniforms, helmets. Uh, Full flak jackets, you know, dogs. I believe there was at, at least one report that there might have been a dog inside, so they dispatched you know, th- th- their own canine unit. And um, yeah, I mean, it was uh, you know, it did not look like a normal uh, 
night in, in New Bedford by, by any means. Uh, it was not a normal night. Um, so, you, some like just the acronym Southeastern Massachusetts Law Enforcement Council. Right. Yeah. So what what it is, it's a pooling of resources. And, and it makes sense because you wouldn't, as you say, Will, you, you cover a lot of stories, but you've, this is the first time you've ever seen this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I've been walking home and I've seen the... Um, you know the the the, the gang unit uh, right. busting on a house, or, right? You know, and it, well, I've seen that before, and it was you know um, police officers. You know, they might have been wearing jeans, or you know, they're, they're, the police department has these tasks task forces. Um, this was you know um, truly uh, military in, in, in style. So there probably was snipers in that in that group, um, and, and um, the highly they're highly trained. Again, they're regional officers. They are both New Bedford and and outside of New Bedford. Um, but at any given time when you have a situation like this with the kind of weaponry that the man may have had. Mm-hmm. Now, we know he had illegal weapons. Um, we know that both of those weapons are serious. They're both semi-automatic, not fully automatic. But when a witness describes them, and anyone who can look at the pictures, you can tell. You, do know, you can't tell if that's an automatic weapon or not. Mm-hmm. So when the police go there, they don't know if they're dealing with someone with a fully automatic weapon. But as I want to say, um, either one of those weapons, the bullet launched from that rifle would have gone through a vest, and it would have gone through a window. It would have gone, unfortunately, even maybe into your window, Will. Yeah, I mean, only would have had to cross maybe four <laughs> planks of wood to right. get in there. Nothing. Um, yeah, and, it, you know, the, the response, it, it, it was trying. And there was, there was uh, you know, along the perimeters, you know, it was, it was um, you know, everyone was coming back. You know, they're kind of moving, uh, rotating shifts. And you could you would feel the, the tension of, of um, you know, as their troops were, uh, police officers were rotated in, um, it, it was a you know serious atmosphere, and they they responded accordingly. Um, I mean, you know, it wasn't just this one house, which is on the corner. I mean, they were the police officers with their um, you know AR-15s were stationed on on the um, decks of neighboring houses, mm-hmm. not mine, but the, the one in front of it. Um, you know, just kind of fully perimeter. I mean, there was walking on back lawns. I mean, the whole area was completely staked out. The um, what what you're seeing there is the. The police officers' confidence in each other and the confidence in their equipment, the confidence in their training. Um, it's a very scary situation, though. It was. I mean, it didn't stop me from peeking my head out the window. <laughs> um, I had some second thoughts, you know, right. at, at certain points. But I, I, mean, I think we should... Your, your yeah, professional yeah. curiosity outweighed your, <laughs> yeah. your will to live. Right. <laughs> when they're wearing a Kevlar helmet and you're not, you got to realize that maybe you should tuck your head in, right? <laughs> Well, as you said, it might not matter, right? With these, with these weapons, no, absolutely, mm. yeah. And um, and they're all illegal, by the way. None of those weapons the gentleman was supposed to have. None of them he was supposed to have, right? And I think we should say just I mean, there were no shots fired. That Correct. Night. I That's mean, we stayed point. up. Uh, my girlfriend and I waiting, you know, to see what would happen. It was late. I mean, it started. We saw the first saw the police cars lined up at about ten o'clock. We didn't see people start to truly roll out until you know about two a.m. And I don't think it was fully resolved by then. I think they just lowered the um, amount of officers on the ground at that, at that point. Right. But um, there were no shots fired, and as as you know, the police have told us uh, the man surrendered himself willingly after you know four hours of, of negotiation. All right. Let's take a break. Yeah. yeah. We'll be right back. 1420 WBSM. Chris McCarthy and Will sent out in the New Bedford Light. We were talking about the four-hour standoff uh, that New Bedford Police Department had um, had just uh, engaged in, and uh, Will was a fir- uh, gave a first-hand accounting of that. We've got a call on the line. If you want to call in, you can at 508-996-0500, or you can message on the app chat. Good evening. You're live. Good evening. Can I talk about another subject? 
We'll, we'll, why don't you call we'll, back? Well, why don't you call back? Call back we'll, in the next we'll, hour. And, and then we'll talk about that. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Bob. So, um, so there's also a story by the by the very wonderful Kate Robinson up at WBSM.com. Gives you, gives you pictures, more more stuff uh, on this story. One of the things I, I think is important to, re, to, re, to re, recall here is that Will was inside, right? How long did the standoff go for? Four hours. Four hours. Those, those police officers are outside, right? Mm-hmm. Freezing cold, bone temperatures, very tight neighborhood. Um, the potential for disaster was all over the place, really. Um, and I, I, I don't think it's too political to bring up the fact that recently, Marcus, you know, you, you noticed a post um, by the New Bedford Police Union. Yeah, last night. Um, right. So uh, last night there was a post by the New Bedford Police Union, which I thought was interesting, especially in light of this conversation. I don't know if it had to do with maybe it had to do something with it. If it was around the same time, I'm going to have to we'll have to check. But uh, I sent I'm going to pull it up now. Uh, we see your calls online. We'll get to them in a minute at 508-996-0500. Yeah, it was, it was around the time this was happening, actually. It had to be because I sent it to you after the show. So they said, today, February 2nd, the Bedford Police Department operated a decreased staffing level per, uh, per order of the chief of police. This notice has been made on behalf of the MB, uh, MB Police Union to the residents and visitors of the city, which we serve. The purpose of this notice is to keep city residents and visitors aware of the decrease in number of officers on the street and possible decrease in the expected level of service promised to them by city officials. I think a pretty, um, I think a, some pretty scathing remarks. Right. 508-996-0500. Let's go to the phones. Good evening. You're live. Hey, good evening, gentlemen. Hey, hey good evening. I just caught a uh, Facebook message sent to me from somebody who's a volunteer at Packer. Yeah. They're going to be staying open all we, night we, tonight. We, as we, a yeah, we just, we just had, we just had a uh, Carl Alstrom Packer on actually. Good, um, good. Okay, yeah. Carl. I helped, I helped Carl get that position over 30 years ago. I don't think he's been giving me sense. <laughs> <laughs> he's doing so great work over there. Thanks for keeping up on it. Thanks, Absolutely. Phil. Thank thanks, you. Phil. Appreciate and, it. And uh, that's, that, is, um, that is 360 Cogsall Street, guys, uh, where PAC is. So, um, we, we, you know, it's, it's, it's very interesting, right? Because we have, we have these long and very important discussions about insurance and benefits and pay, things like that, for city police officers, firefighters, EMTs, for first responders, right? Um, this really puts it all in perspective, right? Um, that if you, they have to have the confidence in their equipment, the confidence in their training, and the confidence that if they're hurt, they're going to be taken care of. Uh, had you ever seen something like that before, Will? Um, in the United States, no. <laughs> Where had you seen it? Uh, well, I um, we, don't, we don't have to get into this if you don't like. But I, I grew up in uh, Jerusalem. My dad was a foreign correspondent. Oh. No, 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 I think um, it's very that. timely. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's very timely. Yes. Well, you know, I, I, I um, my dad was a, a foreign correspondent for the Boston Globe, no covering um, Middle East. And um, you know, seen last night reminded me something more akin to uh, what I grew up seeing there than um, you know, the U.S. police force that we're, we're accustomed to. Wow. They heard it, folks. Um, they, <laughs> yeah. I mean, in other words, we get into these discussions, and sometimes it seems like we're focused on nickels and dimes when we should be focused on rifles and maniacs, right? And the police officers that are out there every day. Um, and the fact that the police are telling us they need more guys. We're seeing that they had to import guys into the city last night. Now, and that they probably would have imported those guys anyway because they're highly trained, just like every other department who's part of Sumlek would have. But when you're at your town meeting in Fairhaven or Dartmouth or whatever, and you're looking at the budget for the police, and they say, and you go, "What's this Semlik thing? Is this yeah. necessary?" <laughs> right. <laughs> Only when it is. Um, I think. I mean, talk, speaking about you know this, um, you know the uh, numbers, police you know, recruitment for the police force. I mean, right. I think it's. 
to just bring perspective to it, um, the kind of politicization of the police force we've seen, especially in the last few years. I mean, I, I have a friend who's a firefighter in Boston, and um, he's told me a lot of police officers are, are leaving to join the fire department. Places that they, you know, um, you know, uh, being a police officer has come, you know, really come under under fire. Uh, I mean, politically in kind of a you know, activism way, and I, I think it's. I mean, this is just perspective, but. Um, adding to maybe these issues you guys are talking about no no i think i think it's a it's a very good uh issue uh will to talk about and it's it's going on in new bedford they're losing guys they're losing people to other towns i can tell you that i learned yesterday or maybe the day before new bedford is losing a police officer to middleborough a police officer to lakeville um over benefits and pay to join police forces in in those towns okay new bedford trained them recruited them trained them the other towns lured him away. So this um this 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 situation last night, this four hour standoff. Right. Um, have we covered the series of events uh, comprehensively on that? So I believe that if you want more, you can go to wbsm.com. We, it started out as a domestic abuse, domestic violence yeah. claim. Um, the uh, I don't even think we we talk about it, details on those things, do we? The 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 the. The person made a complaint, um, and uh, the police went there. And, Will, you, you, you witnessed that. The police came to the, to I, the I, house. I didn't see the police in the initial response right. to the call. Um, I only saw them you know, in the presence um, you know, after uh, they learned about, you know, in their numbers, in their force. About 15 right. cars were there by the time I looked out the window. Um, but, yeah, that's how I understand the sequence of events. When, it went, uh, you know, standard uh, domestic violence call. Which, um, you know, upon learning more information from, you know, extended family, um, they you know, learned about the uh, the weapons uh, the man had in his apartment. Um, you know, and this is after police, uh, you know, knocked on the door, had a slight communication with him through a closed door. And then after he retreated and went silent, um, they stood down and, um, yeah, brought in uh, Semlek just to, to have this um, you know, response to the weapons that were inside the apartment, which they later found. And the, the pictures of which you can see on WBSM. Was there like a, a, a noise register there? Where, did you hear a lot of yelling? Did you hear anything like no, that? No, so that was actually the really interesting part is that there was really no noise. And I, I heard this, um, you know, when I was looking out my window. Right. Um, the, you know, the, I guess, I guess he was, um, you know, kind of command center, uh, one, one of the one of those uh, officers or maybe a sergeant there. Um, and he was telling, you know, when officers would roll in, you know, turn your lights off turn off your sirens. Right. They were trying to keep the atmosphere calm. Okay. And I think that was a, a big part of the de-escalation tactic. I mean, that's why the standoff didn't, you know, take four hours because they were right. trying to buy their... I mean, that was part of this, This, um, you know, de-escalation is um, let's wait it out, you know, give... And this is what the police officers told me is, you know, give give um, the man inside time to, to, to calm down and make a rational decision. Right. Right. My understanding is... Um, an extended member of his family was in close contact with law enforcement um, and the negotiators, which which made it um, ultimately come to a, a, a you know a, a positive outcome. Um, but you can see, uh, and again, Will, Will's that you extended, can see the extended member of the suspect's family. Yes. Oh wow. Um, who was helping with the negotiations? Okay. And um, the again, when if we go to Will's Twitter account, I think that's the best place to see the video. Um, you can see exact the rook we've learned is what it's called. Rook. It's it's a backhoe with a, with a shield on it that the police can stand behind while they're taking fire under return fire. Um, that was brought in um, again. 
that had to be brought in from out of town. They don't have it on on staff. Then the big Bearcat vehicle will also has a video of that. It, it's really amazing to think that that happened right here in our streets. Yeah, I mean, it, it, um, and the closest thing you can equate to it is Israel. Yeah, I mean, that's just my slight experience. Right. I mean, I was a, a kid when I was there. I was right. there for a few years when my dad was stationed there for the for the Boston Globe. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a scene that you, is very common there, which is you know, big armored vehicles rolling down the street. You know, heavily armed police presence. Right. Um, yeah, not not very common to your you know, um, standard day in the um, you know, United States. Worth noting too, uh, Carlos Felix messaged me. He's got he's got a video on um, on New Bedford uh, live. He, he had been recording live as well, but uh, he didn't want to he didn't want to stream live to you know because the officers Look, hats off to carlos for, for making that good judgment call he's always on the scene um and and as my understanding is and i i i feel a lot of a lot of confidence say he generally is very easy to work with with the police um and I, you understand why he wouldn't want to stream it live because the assailant he said be, he didn't want to compromise the officers right yeah. right congratulations to carlos and again new bedford live right yeah new bedford live you so can see the video there as well there's more videos there as well so wow pretty um so hey, well, we've got other topics to discuss um, if you want to stick around because sure. you've been covering for the New Bedford Light a lot of really important issues here in the city. Uh, yeah, I mean, wind, fishing, those are my two uh, standard beats. I mean, I don't, I don't cover the police department, so, so it's a bit out you, of my own Do you argue but, with yourself over the fishing and the wind? <laughs> Bud from New Bedford, uh, I don't know what this means. Bud from New Bedford said, sounds like a lack of discipline from the cops. No, no, it's entirely the opposite. Yeah, I totally thought, the opposite. Yeah. Sounds like Bud didn't quite get the message. It's really I, I blame incredible myself. restraint. I mean, this is what they demonstrated. Um, is yeah, what I witnessed. It seems like it. I mean, because you know, you're talking about those rounds, how they pierce through right. um, a vest, a vest. So they pierce through someone's wall. Obviously. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Because the vest uh, is better than your sheetrock. I yeah, assure you, exactly. Right? I mean, yeah, these right. police officers, they were you know. So there's outside the house that they're in. There's a, a hedge, kind of tall, maybe eight foot hedges, and these police officers were lined, you know, about. Uh, half dozen of them just under the hedge you know um out of view of any windows um you know they 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 just stayed put i mean these same just you know they they uh, rotated in and out but you know the the restraint and to not move in such a cold night just Mm -hmm. wait out this um this this situation i mean that was restraint that's the confidence in your training it's the confidence in your equipment your confidence in your fellow officer um and they trill they train they train when we talk about training money you look at the budget why we spending so much money on training that's why so they can they can act with discipline and save the neighborhood and and, and ultimately will as you point out not a bullet was fired nope not a bullet was fired i would have heard it and <laughs> <laughs> maybe worse <laughs> right maybe worse right. um I think we'll we'll, we'll, we'll do a break. A, yeah, yeah, we'll do a break now, and then we'll we'll be back. This is South Coast tonight. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. So you can join our message on the app on the app chat. Listen to us live anywhere in the world on the WBSM app. Make it inter- children are placed in foster care through no fault of their own because of abuse or neglect. It's heartbreaking. We were just left in a hotel. Tay and his brothers were adopted with help from the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. But more than 100,000 children in the U.S. are still waiting for a family. Now that I'm adopted, I can focus on being a kid. Learn how you can help at DaveThomasFoundation.org. Real-time reaction to everything that happens after the sun goes down. South Coast Tonight with Marcus and Chris is on WBSM. 
Welcome back to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus Farrow. We're here with Chris McCarthy and uh, New Bedford Light reporter Will Senat. Um, so, uh, so Will, we, we we were talking off air. Um, besides just witnessing um, absolute mayhem in the city of New Bedford, you cover um, wind energy and fishing. Yeah, I mean the way I like to put it is the um, ocean industries of New Bedford. Oh, there you go. So, so he has the ocean beat. Yeah, you right. <laughs> I wonder why you're wearing those floaties. So the um, so there's been a lot of development with wind. Some po- some some not so positive recently. We had Mayor Mitchell and we asked him about it. We had Tony Cabral and we asked him about it. Um, you've done a lot of the reporting that's informed me um, on the, for instance. The fact that some of the wind companies are now trying to are, are asking the courts to break the agreements, Ex- explain that a little bit to the audience. Those who may not need to catch up. Sure. So I mean, it, what this comes back to, this story is the bottom line. I mean, that's what the right. story is about. Um, so you know, these wind contracts. I mean, they can build these projects, these, these wind turbines, but if they have no grid to connect it to, and you know, the um, distribution isn't you know passed by the states, you know. It's um. There's a lot that goes into offshore wind beyond the turbines, and part of that is the Department of Public Utilities, which sets the rate of what uh, the companies can charge consumers. Because you know, essentially, the the grids are like a legalized monopoly in a lot of ways, and the right. state has you know some oversight. Um, and these rates that the company Avangrid, it's the same one that's um a half partner in Vineyard Wind, which is the one everyone talks about. But they have a few other projects in the pipeline, and they've set their rates. Um, you know, five or six years ago as these projects were getting underway. And what uh, the companies are saying now is that the rate is essentially too low. They're going to have to charge consumers more to justify the, the costs of building these turbines. And that's you know due to inflation, supply chain issues, things we're all well aware of. Um, but it's an issue for, for consumers. I mean, what it is is they're asking us to pay more for offshore wind turbines. And they're saying that, you know, without these, um, you know, without renegotiating the rates, these projects won't get built. Okay. And, you know, interesting. What's happened is that the DPU, which you know, it's a very, it's a you know, body that's very friendly with offshore wind. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, Kathleen Theoretis, she's the um, you know, she was the head of the Department of Energy and Environmental Affairs for the state. Recently joined an offshore wind company. You know, right. it's a, it's a close, <laughs> that's how it works. Very right? incestuous. Yeah. Um, but what DPU did is they said, uh, you know, no, they locked them into the contract and they said, you know, um, we asked Marcus and I were both there when Maura Healy came to UMass Dartmouth yes. and Marcus asked her, and <laughs> what'd you say, Marcus? Well, I, I, uh, so I talked about that and I said, um, you know. You know, there were some snags. I understand that you've passed it a bit. So, but if this happens again, how are you plan to move forward? And she said, by moving forward. And <laughs> and then she started talking about competing for contracts. And then Will had asked her, "Well, what does that mean? Uh, you know, compete. What, what 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 exactly do you mean? Well, how do you compete? Well, by competing, right? right. <laughs> you know, right. so and it was one of those answers. But you know, what they did is they they locked. They said we're not going to renegotiate, and mm-hmm. it's a contract. It's a legally binding contract, right. and yeah. they have to build them under the terms that they signed. Yeah, and you know, it was one of those moments that you know easily this very this state body that's very friendly with, with offshore wind developers could have you know said yeah we'll, we'll hike your rates, the rates for consumers, but they didn't, and they locked them in, and now often grid is frustrated, but yeah. We'll, yeah. move we'll move forward. We'll move so, forward. Yeah. So it's not uncommon for industry to be very friendly with the regulators. No. Right? It's, a, it's a matter of doing business. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a good strategy. Um, are we as the public looking the other way 
because it's offshore wind, because it's supposed to save us all from global warming, that the, this, this, this incestuous relationship between the industry and, and the industry, which, which ultimately you and I are going to have to pay the electric bill. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we're looking the other way as much as this, it's, you know, it's a long timeline we're working with. People okay. don't, I mean. That's a fair way to look at right? it. Right. I mean, you know, it's, um, it's here in New Bedford, so I think we have a, a great interest in it. Um, Certainly. But, you know, for most people in the eastern corridor, which, you know, these turbines will power, um, it's kind of on the, you know, the back burner, more mm-hmm. or less. It's something, you know, that I think that people feel the government's taking care of, developers are building, um, and, you know, it's not something people are following on a, on a day-by-day rate, which, I mean, usually doesn't matter except for when it really does affect your, um, your pocketbook at the end right, of the day. Right, right. And, and by then it'll be in place. Um, yeah. So we're speaking with Will Sonnet from the New Bedford Light. Um, Will, recently a story broke on Saving Seafood. I'm sure you, you visit that website. Sure, of uh, Saving Seafood about the death of whales. Um, off the coast of New Jersey and New York, there are now six mayors asking for for a pause on on wind. Twelve. Twelve mayors now. Twelve, Twelve mayors now. I guess it's six dead whales. Twelve mayors. Something like that. Yeah. Maybe it's uh, not. Yeah. And the, and the congressman from uh, New Jersey, uh, d- former Democrat, switched to Republican. Um, he is the chairman of the of the of the Energy Committee now in Congress on the Republicans. Do you do you see anything? What, what what are you learning about this? I know it's New Jersey and Washington, not necessarily your beat. But what are you hearing? Well, here? no, I mean that, that that's you know certainly about. Uh, so I mean, what I know about this is that there's this. Um, it, it's called whale um, uh, take permits. Is what they call them. They're incidental harassment permits. Um, it essentially authorizes developers uh, to um, not kill but harass, harm um, whales, and okay. they, it's permitted. <laughs> so I mean. Um, you know, right whales are the one of top concern. Uh, they're you know this big, massive whale that everyone cares greatly about. They're very endangered, and it's very clear from you know what the government has, you know, Department of the Interior NOAA has reported is that yes, offshore wind will um, harm whale species, all whales, not just right whales, but dolphins, even fish spawning habitat. Right. Um, it's very clear. You know, and I think that's why we have to kind of look at this in a you know. Offshore wind is an infrastructure project. I mean, it's about building, you know, essentially something the size of a Chrysler, the Chrysler building right. in the in the ocean. And many of them, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, that, I think that's how we have to look at it. And when it comes to this idea of of whales, I mean, the first thing to understand is that I mean, just about everything we do in the ocean kills whales. Okay, right? There's um, you know, cargo, uh, fishing. Um, uh, you know, uh, oil extraction. I mean, uh, we, they're delicate. The, the marine ecosystem is incredibly delicate. Okay, and whales have really become this. Um, they call it a charismatic megafauna, which is this thing that comes to, not really. I mean, you know, it 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 embodies something larger than than the actual whale itself dying. It's honestly become politicized in a lot of oh, ways. Absolutely. So you know these these governors do they care about the whales? I'm I'm not sure. I mean, right. maybe they're against wind. They, when you um you think about the uh, lobster industry, right? Yes. The lobster industry is currently going under s- serious scrutiny, absolutely, because the Monterey Bay Aquarium is saying that the lobstermen kill whales. Yes, they do, and that's um you know well, they say uh, that yeah they say that, and it's it's not quite you know true to the extent, it, but the people know that if they can latch on to, um you know whale death and mortality, it's a you know really cause people. It, to... It is worth noting that this is the 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 notion that. 
the turbines are killing the whales is a post hoc reasoning. They're just saying because these turbines are being built and the whales are dying, it's a, you know, this is a cause and effect scenario. We do not have hard evidence for that yet. There's no hard evidence that it's killing the whales, but people are just drawing an inference on that. Yeah. I, I spoke with someone in the, in the lobster business who said to me, Chris, if we killed six whales, we'd be in jail. Right, right. We'd be in jail. They certainly are not permanent to harass whales. Right. Yeah, so, but what we're seeing right now is essentially, I mean, you know, it's almost like a battle between who's going to claim the whale for their political benefit. I mean, that's that's yeah. what we're seeing, you know. Does so that make sense? Let's take a, let's take a quick break and uh, we'll, we'll be back. Here's what's happening this week on Towns. Good evening, you're live. Hi, good evening. Good How evening, Bob. Doing? Good. Good. How's Chris? I'm doing well, Bob. Thank you. How'd you know it was me? I recognize your voice, Bob. Ah, good. You're good. Um, I couldn't put it uh, across better than the um, gentleman you've got on the air right now. Will Sennett. But what's his name? Will Sennett. He works Senate. in New Bedford Light. Okay. Um, about uh, the um, the um, whales, the ecosystem from... The um, propellers on the, uh, what do you call them? I'm drawing a blank. Boats? No, no, no. On the um, Terrifying. windmills. Oh, the windmills, yeah. Um, they create a sound, and they, they mess up the sounds of the uh, whales. Yeah, I think so, what you're talking about is the the frequency that you know the um, the turbines and the um, transmission lines create. It's a certain wavelength. That's how you know marine mammals communicate. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, sonar essentially. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, it's um, you can say the same thing about boat sonar. I mean, you know, it's, okay. like I said before, all these things really do mess with the um, the ocean. All right, Mr. Senate, One other thing um, about uh, global warming. Yes, sir. Uh, do you believe in that? Well, I believe that that, that the the Earth temperature changes. I, I don't think I'm causing it. Uh, uh, Al Gore and uh, John Kerry are making a fortune. They are, and, and uh, it's not true because. Uh, well, so are the people telling you it's not true, uh, <laughs> right? Well, yeah, uh, so are the people telling you it's not true, right? What's the temperature out there right now? Oh, it's cold today, so that means that um, global temperatures haven't been rising. Yeah. All right. Thank, thanks. So. Thanks for the call, Bob. Th- I thanks, appreciate Bob. It. Thanks. I'll be in touch. Um, so, the 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 point that the mayor Scott Lang makes about it is that you know they they regulate the dredges on the boats, right? Forty eight inch dredges, mm-hmm. um, and that they're all over the the fishing community about some of these things. Um, whereas they're, I'm not. Not turning a blind eye to the wind industry, but as you point out, it's an infrastructure project. Mm-hmm. They're able to do things that the fishing industry can't do. Yeah, right. And um, I mean, I, I just want to back up, just, you know, based on that, that 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 call. You know, it's um a hard thing covering the offshore wind industry in kind of a scrutinous but fair way because I mean, it's um, you know, to be critical of an industry does not mean to, to denounce that climate change is real. You know, I, yeah, yeah. I, you know, we can be critical. Of this industry, this infrastructure project that's being built on our oceans, it's, we're going to pay for it with our consumer, you know, with our energy rates. 
um, while also acknowledging that climate change <laughs> is, you know, and just essentially pollution and all these things, you know, we, there is a, a necessity to act on, yeah. on that front. A- adding, a, adding a new energy source to the mix is smart. Yeah, right. And that's, that's really what the Department of the Interior, I mean, listen to the um, Senate uh, Energy, the Committee on National Resources, um, Energy, which essentially, you know, Joe Manchin, you, you hear about these, you know, very, like, you know, influential group. Um, they've all, they do and always have taken the approach of all the above when it comes to energy for a long time. And, it's, you know, this idea that there's a, there's a um, competition between oil and wind and coal, you know, Certainly, Joe Manchin has his conflicts of interest when it comes to coal, right? Right. But, right. You know, they're they're about producing as much domestic energy as they possibly can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's always been the um, the through line. It's it's, it's the well, most. There's support. some oil companies with investments in offshore wind too. I think most. Yeah. Of, yeah. I think I think most yeah. of the cash that's um, not government cash is coming from the oil con- companies. Yeah. Um, Exxon Mobil's made a big big move in that direction. Yeah, Shell Oil is probably the BP has made yeah Shell Shell BP has made a Shell big, yeah. yeah Shell's the one I was thinking. Um, the um, it's a very supply side thing to try to keep energy of a mix and a low try to bring the cost down on it. But at the same time, look, I can remember before you guys when people used to throw things out their car window. I mean, <laughs> like the highways were a disaster. They're bad now, but I mean, I'm telling you. He would throw things out the window. We'd have hoodsy, a uh, hoodsy the owl, right? Give a hoot, don't pollute the crying Indian. That was a regular part of the seventies, and it really changed people's behavior, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it, for the better, right? You know. And the thing with energy is that it's not. I mean, you can't just tell people. You know, it, it, it's not. A, it's not a consumer choice. Energy, right? Which is you know part of where the government does come in to kind of direct um, how we want our you know where our energy to come from. Because that, that's. You know, this whole there was that approach a long time ago about like shut off your lights at night, right? You know, like reduce your amount of energy. But um, the government has come around to more realistically saying, okay, how do we create the make an energy source that is you know the most sustainable we possibly can? And that's what you know, the goal is for offshore wind. Of course, you talk about um, you know, Mayor Lang. I know he's a big advocate of nuclear energy. Right. That's that's another alternative, but the government doesn't seem too interested. It, it's a um, it's about creating a mix and and. Um also, all energy is capital intensive, right. whether you're drilling for oil, um, geothermal, uh, solar, wind. It's all extremely capital intensive. Um, and so it requires big companies being involved. And at the end of the day, they have to make a profit or else they will not get the capital. Mm-hmm. I know that hurts some people's feelings. You know, when you say, oh, my God, they're going to make a profit. Well, the, the, the capital would flow to another industry. Right. Yeah, you know, and it comes back to you know what Maura Healy discussed when she came down in one of her first visits as governor, which is um, her very first visit as very governor. First given, yeah, visit yeah. as governor, uh, which is that you know in Massachusetts, I mean, the goal right these projects are being built right yes. about where the companies will be based, and the goal right now for at least the state of Massachusetts is to make this industry more competitive, um, you know, for companies 